Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. My name is Bill and this is a Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. And my guests today will be sharing their journey of recovery from active alcoholism. I'd like to welcome Joe and Barbara, or Barb, to the uh, 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi. Hi, Bill. Um, As members of um, Alcoholics Anonymous, they're going to share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Um, So, Barb, we usually start talking about childhood and what life was like before the drinking or other issues came into it. So what was life like for you early? Um, hi, Bill. Um, life for me, um, I, I'm from Dublin, so I grew up in Ireland. Um, I'm 51 years of age, so that um, was in a time where kind of children were seen and not heard. Um, yep. I came from a very, very strict Protestant household. Um, loving household, but unfortunately, the kids that grew up were we weren't um, spoken to um, or, or to have opinions, as in um, what I see now the kids growing up. But um, I, my parents split when I was about sixteen, um, and from that age, um, I developed an eating disorder, which was kind of my only way of coping at the time. Um, from that, I was hospitalised in um, a psychiatric hospital for about three months while they tried to fatten me up. And <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't kind of, I went with the flow. I didn't know what was happening, but um, it was kind of at the, this, the time when I would have been doing exams and I was about sort of six months behind. So when I did eventually do my exams and come out the other side, I really had no career aspirations and and from there from sort of leaving my parents household I went into an early relationship and I was married quite young um relationship was good at the time but um it was probably mid-20s that's when the relationship started to implode and that's when my drinking started so yeah I was kind of a late bloomer with the alcohol late 20s okay Right. Thank you. Um, Joe. how about you? What was early life like in your family? Oh, hi, Bill. So, <laughs> um, yeah, early life in my family. Um, it's a, my memories aren't all that clear, but I, um, I grew up in an, um, an alcoholic home. My, my dad was an alcoholic and um, he passed away when I was about 11. So my early... Um, my early childhood was uh, was quite um, was quite traumatic. I think um, it was, um, you know, my father's drinking had a had a um, big impact on my mother and and on myself and um, my childhood. If I had one word to describe it, was sort of frightening and unpredictable, and. Um, and I think it took a lot of my mother's focus. I sort of learnt at a really young age that um, not to bother her in a way or not to... Not 
not to cause any more problems. Not to cause any more problems. Yeah. So I was a good yeah. kid. I think I was a good kid, although I never felt good. Always felt like yeah. I was in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Could do better, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so what happened as you were growing up then with your parents? Did, you know, did, did the drinking get addressed or...? Um, well, it didn't. My my father, I think the last five or six, it, it is quite, um, it is a little bit sketchy, but I think the last five, six years of his drinking, he was in and out of institutions. And um, I mean, my father was a homeless man when he, when he actually died from alcoholism. And um, uh, so he... Um, so there was a sense that when he passed away, I remember sort of quite clearly thinking that um, that, that was over and done with. Yeah. We didn't need to worry about the um, his alcoholism or drinking mm. there was ever no, again. There's no residual effects. No, <laughs> no. And nothing was really, I can't say anything was actually dealt with. It was just gone. Gone. Not mm. spoken of. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Okay. So when did you first get exposed to alcohol and what was it like for you? Um, well, exactly when, I think I was around 14. It was somewhere around then. I remember, um, you know, I was a really um, shy, self-conscious, oh, you know, I don't, I was a bit of a weird kid, you know, I never really quite fitted in and was a bit kooky and um and I picked up a drink around fourteen and I remember I remember it really clearly because I had um I'd been going out with a boy for a couple of years who I'd never actually spoken to. We'd only ever <laughs> passed letters to one another. I was too shy to speak to him, I couldn't and um I went to some party and I picked up a drink and by the end of the night I um told him he smelt good you know and um it did for me what I just couldn't do for myself you know it it brought me out of myself and yeah and made me everything I thought I wasn't in yeah. a way yeah that you should have been yeah yeah okay um so uh, what about school then how did school go um well I, I left school when I was quite young I was uh 14 when I left school and um I was a really, I was a bright kid. I think I probably, in hindsight, probably should have stayed on at school. But my mum was, um, you know, she, I suppose she found uh, the idea of being a widow with a child on her own quite overwhelming. And it seemed, I would imagine, uh, an easier prospect for her to have me in the workforce. And, Mm. um, you know, I was young. It seemed pretty exciting. No homework or go to school (laughs) or go to work. seemed pretty exciting to me as well. So, yeah, I left school quite young. Right. Mm. <clears throat> so what sort of work did you do? Um, I got an apprenticeship as a hairdresser. Okay. And, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, Barb, we, we left you, um, I think, in your mid-20s when things started falling apart. Yes. How, when, when your relationship started to have problems, did you, what was your reaction my, I think my only reaction is kind of the, the default position that I have is I just completely go silent. And with the relationship, um, I think my husband, he had had an affair at the time, but I would just, um, the best thing to do was to actually move on and, and leave and for my own sanity. And, and I moved back in with my mother um, and we... The relationship we divorced um and from there i 
I didn't seek help. I, I, it's not, looking back now, I, I was just crying out for help. My eating disorder was still, had its grips around my throat and I was now beginning to start drinking and going into that, the starting of the heavy drinking part of, but I didn't, looking back, I I can now see it, but I didn't ask for help, which is really sad because at that stage, I was only about 29 years of age, still so young and still a lot of damage was going to happen to come from. um, By then, I actually got a new job. Um, I got a new job in London, my early 30s, and that was in a, a really good job actually in the, in the city of London and I had um, new friends new social life and with the job came there was parties afterwards and you had to socialise and it was in the Irish community so it was quite a lot of <laughs> highbrow yeah, yeah. there was a lot of drinking yeah. I was younger um, as that stage it, there was no consequences at that stage so it was that fun stage in my early 30s um, but it was, in in hindsight, when I would actually go back and, and visit home and Christmas, I, I would notice I would be the only one kind of not drinking at the table or, or my mind would be going, when can I get a drink? And it's only looking back that that was sort of the first starting of of not not a good uh, situation or relationship with alcohol, but again, I, I had a heavy social life and I could do, you know, burn both ends drinking, not drinking during the day, but I could certainly socialise and, and party it at night. Yeah. So what did it, did, it, what did it do for you? Did you feel good drinking? Oh, it, oh, it gave me... I had come from, looking back, a very quiet teenager growing up to going straight into a marriage um, to a husband that I didn't kind of speak my mind to. Alcohol gave me the confidence. I was like another foot taller... Um, better looking, my jokes were funnier, I had the confidence to even go out and well I felt I did, I was just yeah, kicking back the way I should have been doing when I was in my early 20s rather than getting into a marriage which was doomed but um, so I think at the time, at the time it was where I was at London and partying Um, but I didn't, again I had another couple of decades of it developing and getting worse before I was seeking help. Um, by the time late thirties for me brought me back to Ireland, um, and I was living actually on my own back in Dublin, and I had started a new relationship to a, with an Australian living here, and it developed quite quickly. Um, and I moved out to Australia, which would have been my early forties. That's about 11 years ago now. Um, but unfortunately, I had brought my um, drinking habit with me and uh, along with it, the eating disorder was still tagging on. Um, the early part of that m- marriage saw me um, speaking m- myself and my new husband to a marriage counsellor. We, we used to go um, because I was she I went for my eating. Yeah, <laughs> not, not my alcohol. Yeah, because that wasn't the problem. That was that was not my problem. That is exactly it. And ironically, she helped me kick my bulimia that had been following me for about twenty-seven years. But unfortunately, that's when the alcohol 
tipped it up to the next level, mm. and that was about forty-three. Yeah. So, so what do you put down to overcoming your bulimia? What what sort of change of thought hat, pattern did you could you see now? Looking back, uh, dealing with a counsellor who was helping me see that I needed to deal with problems in, internally in myself, and at that stage I was actually speaking my mind to my husband and speaking my opinions and like I had a voice. Yeah. Yeah, it was like that. Okay, thanks. Um, so back to you, Joe. Um, so alcohol, you had your working, you were drinking and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and you're in your teens. Mm-hmm. So how's life going? Well, um, at the time I would have... I think I would have told you it was going quite well. I was, um, so I I had started to work, so I had um, money. I was um, involved in a sport that I had been um, doing since I was about five years old, so I was still um, doing that. Um, I remember that my work environment was quite a, uh, uh, my my boss used to um, have a mug with wine in it (laughs) on his... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the mornings, my work environment had a lot of drinkers in it and a lot of heavy drinkers. Wow. I, I wouldn't like to say they're alcoholics, but yeah. I, they gave it a good go. They yeah. gave it a good go, yeah. and it seemed to attract those sorts of people. And um, so there were a few occasions where I would, I remember one of the first occasions um, at work, a social occasion, was maybe one of the first Christmas parties. And I think I ate oysters and drank champagne for the first time. And I think. <laughs> By halfway through that night, I was in the toilet throwing up. I don't know whether it was the oysters or the champagne. But, you know, I went back out and just kept going. There was no stopping me. And so, you know, in those teenage years, I do I do sort of believe that alcohol did for me what I couldn't do for myself, which was, you know, sort of overcome my my shyness and my... Yeah. Um, uh, my being self-conscious <clears throat> and be able to connect with other people. Right. Mm. So what about relationships generally? Were they improving? No. No? No. I was still having difficulty with relationships. I always had, even from a really young child, but even as a... No, they weren't improving. I mean, I think that um, there was some... I had some closer relationships, but they were all based around drinking. But generally, the way I was in the world and the way I connected with people was uh, still did not improve right mm-hmm. without alcohol <laughs> without alcohol <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so growing up then um did your drinking progressively get worse it yes it did mm. um my i my alcoholism p- progressed quite rapidly um by my late teens i was a a, a daily drinker and uh most things that had been in my life a few years prior to that were gone um you know my life um as I see it now, began to get smaller. I believe that alcohol began to make decisions for me, who yeah. I would, um, who I'd be with, where I would go, what I would do, what job I had, um, those sorts of things. Although at the time I would have told you I was making those decisions myself. Yeah. But I, um, you know, uh, looking back in hindsight, I see that um, it was definitely um, the choices I was making were choices um so that I could drink the way I wanted to drink. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as your drinking got worse, what, 
What did what does worse mean? Well, um, worse means. Um I mean, the quantity increased. There's no doubt about that. So where it was sort of when I was younger, it might have just been weekends or every now and again. By my late teens, I was a daily drinker. I was um, working in a pub and um, so I had access to alcohol. Um, It wasn't only just daily drinking. I was probably uh, drunk most days. And not only that did um, did the quantity increase, but the consequences of my drinking progressively got worse yeah. and um it must have been yeah. difficult working in a pub yeah <laughs> not really for an alcoholic <laughs> it's probably a an ideal place you know yeah mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i meant if you wanted to try and control it it would be difficult to try and control your drinking in a pub yeah i don't think i was trying to control no. it at that stage <laughs> <laughs> okay well listen we might take a break you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, there's over 60 podcasts of our show available and they're at 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree and also on iTunes. If you'd like to contact us, then you can call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3 at gmail.com and you can also find us on Twitter. I'm talking with Barb and Joe, and we're talking about recovery from active alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Barb, so uh, when before the break, we were talking about um, heavy drinking. You're in your early 40s. You just started a new relationship, and nobody really knew you were drinking. How how do you get away with it? Oh, that's the insanity of it. It's the madness that took over. In my world, yes, I, I nobody around in at, at that stage knew that I was drinking so much. Um, I would be shopping um, in one shop, getting my secret stash of wine and hiding it around the house. And then there would be the normal other wine that would be going into the wine rack. Um, my husband actually worked um, odd hours, so he would be in bed early and um, up early as well so it was a case of I would I would I started hiding empties and I started doing all the kind of insane things that to hide the evidence that I had been drinking the night before Um, and it it started getting bad then because I started to experience blackouts um, and I would go through we used to call it my sleepwalking phase because I would actually end up in the front garden wandering around, okay. you know, and you'd have to, yeah, it was mad. And looking back, my husband, now he can look back and laugh because he obviously sees I'm now in blackout. But at the time, no, um, I still didn't think I had a problem at all. Um, but obviously the hiding, the drinking. Um, my husband and I, we run our own companies, so um, I was able to kind of turn in at about 11 o'clock in the morning and be I'd be leaving early so I'd be planning my shop in the at that night and yeah. I, you know yeah okay so what was your relationship like with your husband with you drinking and him obviously noticing I, something but not really understanding things started to I started turning into a very 
um, narky, narky person. My personality was completely on the defence of a lot and rightly so because he was binding bottles around the house because at the later stage, stages I was just not hiding them or, you know, if he was finding bottles, I was in complete denial and there's the evidence, you know, a couple of bottles of, of wine, you know, smashed in the, you know, on the floor or whatever. So, I became completely defensive, um, you know, and, and, and he's stuck by me, but he, he was at his wit's end. And I remember we were we were going out to um, a dinner dance and I went out and I was getting my hair done and I paid to get my makeup done and we were all good. And this is when I said, well, I'll, I must start controlling my drinking because, you know, if, if I'm going into blackout, then it's obviously the amount I'm drinking because I'm so small and I kind of, at that stage, you know, only like sort of eat a little bit. But I'll I'll control this. And as the, the evening, the dinner dance progressed, I can actually remember me sort of saying, no, I won't have that drink. No, I won't have that drink. But then behind the background, I would be having another drink up um, and on somebody else's table. So my husband didn't see me drinking, but on somebody else's table, I would be having a drink. Yeah. That, yeah, that night ended up with <clears throat> me smashing my chin as I was in blackout. I don't remember how I got home. I just remember waking up the next morning and having to go in A&E to get three stitches in my chin and my husband just looking, going, this has to stop. This mm. has to stop. Did it stop? It took another while, but it was the start of the, it, this has got to stop, because obviously this is when I look back and I go, you would think that would be the stopping phase, but it was another year before I would actually get into the doors of AAs, and there was another a lot of evenings and a lot of shaking of the head of the husband, but I couldn't put the drink down. Mm. So couldn't. did you change how you drank? Yes, I, I sort of, I used to drink spirits, but I sort of knocked those totally on the head um, and then I would drink light wine. But then the light wine turned into, like one bottle turned into two bottles because it wouldn't really do the trick. And then I said, well, maybe if I have a couple of alcohol-free nights, that would be grand because then I could catch up on the other nights. I couldn't even do one alcohol-free night mm. okay. at all. Okay. Um, Joe, over to you. So you're in your late teens working in a pub in London mm. and living the dream, <laughs> the alcoholic dream. <laughs> so um, how did things progress through your early 20s? And- well, um, yeah, so I was living the dream in London. Um, look, I just – I – Move from one pub to another. I went I originally went to London like the the great Australian dream to go to London and then travel around Europe. Yeah. I never I don't think I crossed the channel once. <laughs> I had a URL pass that I let expire and I went nowhere. You know, I I literally just went from one mm. pub to the next and um and and in the end, after, like, I lived in London for three years and I did, like, I had a couple of other jobs, but most of the time it was in pubs and I just drank with people that drank like me. And um, But the characters or the people I hung out with just got shadier and shadier. And in the end, I actually um, had my life threatened by someone and um, because of something I did when I was drunk. And, um, and I got so scared, I, you know, I thought it was... 
I did a, essentially a geographical. I thought, yeah. well, it's time came to go home. back to Australia. Yeah. I came home with my tail between my legs. Mm. Okay. Um, did you think of stopping? At that stage, no. Mm. No, not at so all. So it wasn't – the consequences weren't bad enough that you needed to modify? Well, I, I, th- I think the consequences were, but – I still thought I had some sort of control over it and I I thought that the 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 consequences and the circumstances were just that not as a result of my drinking but yeah, it was just, just life. bad yeah. luck yeah yeah okay um so when did when did you think you'd like to stop what was the point when you thought mm, maybe I should stop well it was a few years on from there so I came back to Australia and um and I was always sort of seeking, uh, maybe not consciously, but unconsciously. I, I there was a sense in me that needed to, that wanted to be rescued. That I thought that you know someone could save me. And um, I met a man in my early twenties, and um, who I thought would do that. And um, so I, you know, I took my alcoholism into that relationship, and the relationship um, was not good. It was not a good relationship, and um, not. Um, not through anything that that man did, but definitely from what I brought to it. It certainly did not bring out the best in either one of us. And um, I think it was like around the age of 25, you know, it was brought to my attention by him that um, I drank too much. And, um, you know, similar to um, Barb, you know, I thought I'd been getting away with it, essentially. But um, when someone that close to you brings it to your attention mm. in no uncertain terms that they think you drink too much, then um, I think it was around that time I um, I started thinking maybe something needs to be done about this. Mm. Mm. Okay. So what what was your strategy? <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> yes, my strategy was um, well. First off, when I was, when it was brought to my attention, my strategy was to sulk and not talk to that person because <laughs> I was absolutely, I was so defendant, defended and indignant that someone dare accuse me of drinking too much. But um, my strategy after that essentially was to um, try and you know manage and control my drinking by myself, and because I I really truly believe that. Um, if I could fix my externals and make it all okay, that I wouldn't need to drink the way I drank. I thought that I did what I did because of um, my childhood, my parenting, my husband, my job, you know, the list can go on. And mm. so I figured that if I just fixed that stuff up, yeah. then I would be okay. Yeah. That's typical denialism, isn't it? <laughs> I <think> so, <laughs> something like that, yeah. <laughs> right. So when did things change? Um. Well, I suppose, um, so I spent probably the last four years of my drinking uh, trying to uh, manage and control it on my um, on my own power. So I, um, you know, I, I tried um, changing what I drank, uh, when I drank, who I drank with. Um, you know, I, I changed jobs and, um, oh, you know, the list can go on and on. But the the last thing that, the, I like to call it the last bright idea that I had was that I thought that um, if I became a mother, if I had a child, then it would be the ultimate responsibility to straighten me up, essentially. So um, I, um, so I, I got pregnant, and um, 
I didn't stay sober through my pregnancy and um, and then I had that child and I didn't stay sober when that child was born either. And, um, and you know, in some strange way, um, it wasn't a strange way, but as a, as a woman, as a mother, as a, as a human being, it, um, I, I was completely baffled why I couldn't stop drinking. Why my why my bright idea didn't work? <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought it would, and it didn't. I just couldn't not. I couldn't stop. Mm. Mm, okay, um, Barb. So, your husband noticed your drinking. You started acknowledging your drinking was a problem. Yes. So, what happened next? Things came to about a. 16 months ago, things came to an inevitable head. And my husband, one evening, just shouted to me, you know, you're just a bloody alcoholic. You should take yourself to AA. I think I effed effed him out of it back. But the next morning, that just resonated in actually in my gut more so than anything because I was beyond my wit's end at what I could do because alcohol at that stage was not working for me. It was doing nothing for me. I was going straight into blackout after a couple of drinks. So the desired effect that I was trying to get was gone. And I was, I was like hopeless. I didn't know what to do. Basically, I went onto the web and I I looked up um, on the AA website um, meetings and they had a meeting that night, Monday night, beginners meeting in Preston. So I took myself off there and sat at the back, the very last row by the door. Um, and they had been a beginner's meeting. They had um, the cycle of addiction is the very first thing that they talk about. And I was transfixed. I just sat listening to this because this guy who was in his 30s was telling his story and I just res- it just resonated with me. And then they talked about a disease and then they talked about the mental obsession and I'm like and the insanity and I got all the words they just went inside to me and made me realize you know there's something in here there's something in here one girl turned around and she gave me her number and she said give me a ring tomorrow so there's meetings all week and we can have a chat tomorrow but please give me a ring um and that night on um I kind of phoned her and she said listen yeah you definitely have the right number to phone me and she was the first person the only first person that I could actually have a conversation about how I drank and how I could actually say I'm an alcoholic and I need help and she said well you know you came in the doors that's amazing you've come in the right place so um, that was the start of my journey um, coming into AA on the 27th of June 2017 Um from there, um, gosh, it wasn't, it was, I was a slow s- starter, but I, I had to, you know, continue going to m- meetings at that early start. Um, and I was making friends slowly by sort of sitting by the person next to me and, and getting their number and finding out what meeting they were going to, like maybe, you know, on a Friday. And my next meeting that I did go to was Heidelberg on a Friday. It's another strong meeting for beginners. And slowly, you know, I, I to anybody externally, I was doing Dry July last year mm. because at this stage, n- nobody knew that I was alcoholically drinking. 
but people were noticing that I wasn't drinking. So yeah. I just said, <clears throat> I'm doing dry July. Yeah. And my husband's like, he knows yeah. I'm in there because <laughs> of the reasons. And he's giving me the high five. But I found all of a sudden July was over and, and, and so was August. And by September. You were going to stay. I was staying. <laughs> I was staying. And I was actually, my sponsor approached me and said, do you need a sponsor? And I went, yes, please. I am feeling the insanity in my head because I can, I'm listening and I know I'm in the right place, but I don't know what to do. And that's when I actually started my journey with a sponsor and started, yes, that was a year ago, October last year is when I started um, doing the big book. Okay. Which would change my world. Right. And your life. <laughs> my Good. life. Um, Joe, um, how did you admit defeat? How did that... Hmm. Did you talk to somebody about Um, No. I think that... um, uh, No, I think that um, it it sort of happened over... uh, I don't know the time span now, but it was over a few months. You know, I had... um, Like I said, I had a... You know, I thought that this um, becoming a mother was was going to be the thing that fixed me and it didn't and um, and it did bring me to my knees it did I just I, I there was some there was some awareness that I now wasn't only just dragging myself through this but I had um, a small baby that I loved more than anything that I was bringing along into this not dissimilar to my own childhood and mm. there was some awareness around that and that um, and I think I realised that um, somewhere in my very, very fuzzy alcoholic head, I realised that I wasn't actually going to be able to fix this and that nothing was ever going to change. And I eventually um, I asked um, someone to help me. Um, so a family member was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and she was a wonderful power of example. And um, I put my hand up for... She kept checking in on me. She kept ringing and checking in on how much... She'd actually say, how's your drinking going? Which is not a question that other people ask you, but yeah. she would she would be direct enough and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's and, going um, well. Yeah. It's going well. <laughs> so she, um, she kept checking in and um, eventually I just... I'd had enough, you know, I was beaten and um, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and um, I called her and I said, can you take me to a meeting? And um, she took me to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and um, I remember the first meeting, um, uh, not as clearly as Barb remembers hers, but I do remember um, I listened to the stories and although... The people were different and the stories were different. There was something that I just related to. They were talking my language and my truth and um, I no longer felt alone. But also I just I just had this sense that maybe, just maybe, this might work for me. And um, I understand it today that I was given some hope. Mm, a glimmer of hope. A glimmer yeah. of hope, yeah. yeah. yeah that's yeah. great. Okay, listen, we might take a break. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, I'm talking to Barb and Joe about recovery from active alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Joe, you've made it into Alcoholics Anonymous. So what's it like now that you've been sober? I think, did you tell me how long you've been sober? 
No. Yes, I did. Did you? I've forgotten. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, I got sober on the 13th of October, 1995. So okay. I just celebrated 23, 23 years. years. Wow. Terrific. So yeah. what's it like now? Um, well, I, I mean, I've been sober longer than I drank. Um, life is very, very different. And um, it's, it's sometimes very hard for me to remember. Uh, I don't. And that's not true. I do remember very clearly what it was like, but it has been a long time since my last drink. But um, life is, um, it's hard to describe. I think it's, I think it's pretty normal and pretty, pretty ordinary. I have, um, I think, quite genuine relationships. I feel at ease in the world most of the time. I have a sense of, uh, I most of the time have peace of mind and, um, peace in my heart and I think that um above everything else I think I'm you know I'm quite useful in the world I have become more useful than a hindrance like I certainly yeah. was when I drank yeah. yeah 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 it's good feeling isn't it to not be a problem it is it is it's not to say that sometimes I'm sure people can't find me problematic <laughs> but definitely um yeah yeah things are improving right yeah okay so what about your relationships then with your child uh, so um, that child that um, I was pregnant with when I and who was a ten month old baby when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous is um, now a twenty four year old woman. She um, she went through Alateen as a teenager and is okay. now a member of Al Anon. Um, and well, my relationship with her is that I think, as far as mother and daughter goes, I think we're, we're really close. Um, the program of AA has helped me um, parent her. There's no doubt about it. And, um, yeah, we're close but not um, not, not enmeshed. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, yeah. I'm able to let her live her own life and support her in her decisions. And, um, yeah. Yep. So did you think that your relationship with alcohol would damage her? Yeah. I, I had a really strong belief to... Uh, to probably around maybe oh, four or five years of sobriety that because she had me as a mother because I was a uh, an alcoholic and she had me as a mother that she would be damaged by that and um, as a result be affected by that her whole life and um, and that hasn't been the case no. it's actually um, quite the opposite yeah. yeah yeah I think people are damaged but they're not irrevocably damaged. No, and, that's, and they have experience. They have a different experience. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think that I was projecting my damage and and your fears, my yeah. fears yeah. onto her. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm. thanks, um, Bob. How about you? What's what's life like now compared to when you were both bulimic and alcoholic? How what's it like being free of those two things? The I was. Just saying earlier that it was like having two voices out of my head set free. It it was not. I had never realised only when I first came into AA that I was so driven with anxiety, um, and the alcoholism and bulimia were driving th- me through a safe state of insanity. So it was actually great to be able to have a program um, that I could actually work through doing my steps with a sponsor that has eased the insanity of my head and with the alcohol. And I've been getting help then with a a doctor and a dietitian as well and and, and going forward with an honest programme 
for the two because um, the freedom to actually live life and, and be an adult and go ahead because I too was fear driven and not having to live in the past or with situations that uh, I, I couldn't change but I don't sometimes you can see something in, in, in somebody else's perspective and you can t- pause have, have a pause button now which is really good um, going forward now um, I'm actually at the stage now where I finished my steps and the programme at the end is that you help others and it's a working with others programme um, I'm now secretary at the meeting that I sort of rocked into about 16 months ago I have a brand new circle of AA friends that I love to bits and it's now my my, my world is either working around AA and working and uh, my relationship with my husband that has just changed changed so much for the better mm. how about your family your mum and dad my 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 dad is past okay um but my mum in Ireland she actually didn't know I, my drinking had become such a problem I'd hidden it so well but we've reconnected we have weekly skypes now whether we're just sitting looking at each other or just showing animal photos or whatever's happening but it's just having that reconnection it's been great the the reconnection as well I have a cu- couple of brothers as well and just to be able to yeah reconnect with them as well and it's sold through the actual AA the program as well mm. yeah how about your husband does he sought help in something like Eleanor or he hasn't no and maybe it's something he never expressed because he did I suppose have a wife that had drunk well we I would have been drinking for nine years of our marriage mm. and it's not something that he did express that he needed help in. He he was just happy to have a, a sober wife and, and see me actually active in, in making decisions for myself in the week rather than just be somebody who was very much going with the flow and then when things weren't flowing my way, I would explode. Mm, right. So he's very happy for you. He is, he is, he is happy for AA. He is so yeah. glad. I went to AA. I am so happy I went to AA. It has changed my world. Exactly. Mm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, jo, I, you've got a second daughter as well. I do. So I was going to ask you, ask you about her as well. <laughs> didn't want to leave her out. No, I didn't when I... Yes, yeah. So uh, you've obviously been sober for her entire life. I have. So I have. Is there any difference between the younger and older daughter and your your relationships with them? Um I don't think there's any, I mean, besides them being different kids. Yes, it was a yeah. really different, I was 10 years sober when I fell pregnant with her and um, uh, with my second husband. And uh, it was a very different experience um, having a sober pregnancy, a very, there was something incredible, um, incredibly free about it. And um, yeah, she's, um, I mean, she's never known anything other than a sober uh, mum and living in a and living in a sober house, um, you know. A couple of years ago, we um, I lost my my beautiful husband to um, to cancer, and um, and her dad. And um, you know, I've had to. It's been, um, as you would imagine, um, a really hard 
road. But um, the thought of a drink never actually crossed my mind. And although the grief has been incredibly difficult, you know, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has just held me to be able to face up to one of the most difficult times in my life and not only navigate my way, my own way mm. through it, but also be there to the best of my ability for her as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so we're, we're running pretty close to the end, but I guess what... <sighs> I often ask people what they would say to somebody who is just like them and drinking. So, Barb, what what would you say to somebody who's listening and still drinking and thinking about doing something? Um, I suppose um, I know when I had got to the stage where alcohol wasn't working for me and I had, because there's two questions, like if can you control it um, and if not... Is it controlling you? And if you can stop, can you stop? And when I couldn't, for years I couldn't control it or do anything, it was actually um, controlling myself and consuming myself. Every thought I had was on alcohol. And if you can even ask for help in AA, it is so much, it's so there. There are so many meetings in Victoria to go to. We've got morning, afternoon and evening meetings. You'll make amazing friends and you will have support and it does, the program does work. Mm, yeah, I've heard it said that the only way to determine if you're an alcoholic is to have, what is it, I think it's one or two drinks every night for 30 days. If you can do that, you're not an alcoholic. Mm. If you can't do that, you know, if you can't stop after one or two, you are. And That's I think true. a lot of people are confused about, you know, am I an alcoholic? And, mm. and a lot of families and friends are confused about, are they an alcoholic? Because nobody understands that. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, I mean, I think I like the line in the big book where it's, it actually says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, if you're unsure whether you are alcoholic, go over to the nearest bar order a couple of drinks and then pull up suddenly and walk away. And I think that that's, I'm using that, their yeah. language because it's yeah. quite, but, and I think that to be the truth, you know, for me, you know, the definition of an alcoholic is someone who once they start drinking can't stop, can't stop. and also has lost the power of choice to not pick up the first drink. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, listen, we're at the end of our, um, end of, end of our show. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, um, then you can phone them on 1300 222 um, or you can go online at aa.org.au. Uh, I'd like to thank Joe and Barb for coming into the studio this afternoon and sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thanks, thank you Bill. very much. Um, I hope you better join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovering from drug addiction and we'll be joined by Grant and Neil, who are members of Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, If you stay tuned now, uh, you'll hear Black Noise Radio, uh, which is hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, Thanks again for listening to Living Free program today.